Illinois. And the reason why we have central and southern Illinois is because of the population density of the northern part of the state. It takes three Awana missionary cover couples to cover that. Whenever we think about our territory, we're thankful for central and southern Illinois, what we call flyover country, because our biggest city is the greater Peoria area. And then we think of Chicago, and all we can say is God in his goodness gave Chicago to somebody else. <laughs> but Nancy and I are just one of about 100 couples or family units that cover just in the U.S. But there are 110 or more countries around the world that are currently using the Awana ministry as an effective tool, like you folks use it, to reach children, bring them to the Lord, help them to grow in the Lord, and to make a bridge of ministry connection to their mom and or dad or their family situation. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a church and talking about uh, sharing it with a church that's prayerfully considering starting it for the first time. Nancy is a byproduct of our home church's Awana program. For this year, we will be concluding our 61st consecutive Awana Club year. And Nancy grew up in the program, but boy, I wish I had it when I was in third grade. Oh boy, do I wish I had it in third grade. But I want to share with you the fact that this church was asking the question, we want to use the Awana program, and uh, we're looking at, because we already have a junior high and high school ministry established, we want to go up to fifth or sixth grade. I said, well, you choose whatever programs you want to use that best accomplish your local church's ministry objectives. And then I shared with them the following. Can you imagine, as your leaders are involved in working with children cubby age, maybe three and four-year-old, all the way up to sixth grade, what blessing they will be to their youth ministries when you're finished with them as third through sixth graders and passing them on to be an effective asset in the ongoing youth ministries of your church. But it doesn't stop there. For most children who have a leader that is engaged with them, not only sharing the word, not only helping them to grow in the word, but becomes a spiritual mentor to them. So more likely when that child becomes a young person, becomes a young adult, they do not forget the impact that adult has had in the life of that child and that young person. Folks, we as adults have an opportunity to be spiritual mentors like no other time in America's history. If you would take your Bible Open it up or turn it on, however you have it with you. Whatever version you have, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Today is Palm Sunday. You know the account of the scriptures, how the Lord came to Jerusalem to be offered up for the sins of all mankind. He entered and they welcomed him as one that was going to bring revolution and allow the people in Jerusalem to once again do away with the evil government oppressing them. But Jesus was coming, not as the king of a political group or movement, but he was coming as the king and conqueror of sin and death itself. So you know the account, Jesus came in, Palm Sunday, and then through the course of the week, the account goes that Jesus goes to a high place overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he begins to weep. And I'm thinking, 
Was he weeping over the children and the young people that have the tender hearts that are pliable to the things of the Lord while they're young? He's probably grieving over the adults that have gotten so stiff-necked that they were rejecting the truth from the heart out. We have four grandchildren, five grandchildren. A couple of years ago, they were over for supper. And I knew at that time our oldest was having a little bit of a problem kind of following mom and dad's instructions. So I took him to the side. I said, Drew, I said, always remember, be obedient from the heart out. Not because you are told so that you could prevent what could happen to you from happening to you or that you were good enough to be able to get what you want, but obey from the heart out. Isn't that true for children and young people? How genuine and original they are? How pliable their hearts are? So we as God's people seize the opportunity to minister to children and young people as well as adults, but the most pliable, precious hearts are our children and young people. Somebody once put it this way, we stand no taller in the eyes of the Lord than when we kneel to minister to a child or a young person face to face, heart to heart, and need to need. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 is a very familiar passage. It's the passage where Jesus says, Let the little children come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. But when you look at Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, Jesus is meeting with a group of adults, and he's discussing a serious issue of marriage, commitment, and divorce. And in the middle of it, somebody has enough gall to bring a bunch of kids so Jesus can bless them. And what we learn from this passage is the attitude Jesus has towards children and young people. So I want to have the same kind of attitude. And I know I'm with many of you. Sometimes kids drive us up a wall. Even our own like I heard one said when Nancy was expecting our first, had a deacon in our church come say, Don, remember, it takes 18 years for a child to raise his parent. <laughs> and I thought that was funny until six months after David was born and I realized what the real application of that was. But when we look at children and we realize the opportunity we have to make an impact, it is overwhelming. I remember one girl in one of our churches. A number of years ago, Nancy, uh, I was visiting their club, and uh, I walked in from the parsonage, and it was a smaller church, and walked into their auditorium, which is about half this size. And here, on the front step of the platform, while the Sparkies were in a room behind the platform, here was a second-grade girl. She had her entrance book open, the, the, the Sparky entrance booklet. And there was a girl sitting on the floor. I later found out that that second grader had brought that other second grader and was sharing the verses from the Sparky entrance booklet with her. And those of you who work in Sparkies, you know what the Sparky entrance booklet is all about? It's about the gospel. 
She was sharing the gospel with her friend who she bought, brought. A few weeks back, we were at that same church, came across that same girl, about a sixth grader. I went up to her and I said, I want you to know how much of an encouragement you were to me. And then there's her grandmother. And I said, I want you to know how much your granddaughter has been a testimony to me and how many times I have shared that account with others to be an encouragement to them. But I didn't tell you the rest of the story. For when that girl was in second grade and I saw what she was doing and found out it was her friend because she wanted her friend to come to know the Lord, later on they had game time. So for some reason she was standing off behind the game circle. Maybe she just wasn't feeling well or whatever. So I was standing there and I was talking to her. I said, so what grade are you in? You know, casual conversation. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Where do you go to school? Just trying to connect. And I did not realize what I was about to hear. She says, well, my dad and me, we, we live with my grandma and grandpa. You do? Didn't say anything about her mom. And I said, oh, okay. And then she began to add more to it without any of my prompting. She said, you see, my dad tells me that, that when I was uh, still before I was born and my mom was carrying me, my mom came to my dad and said, I don't want this child. And I don't want to be married to you. I'm thinking, the second grader, why, I, why is she telling me this? She said, so my dad made sure that I was born, and then after I was born and my mom left, my mom, my dad, and me, we went to go live with my grandma and grandpa. No second grader should ever, ever be told how worthless they are in the eyes of someone who doesn't hold them precious. And we live in a culture and a society like that today. You and I both know we live in such a disposable society. You can go into McDonald's, you can get it served to you in 60 seconds or less sometimes, sometimes longer if you go inside. And you can have all your lunch eaten and throw everything away so there's nothing left except your stomach is full. But that is carried over to our attitude towards children and young people. That in our culture, many times, adults treat children and young people as if they are disposable. They are in the way. And so as I look at this passage over and over again, I am reminded, Lord, I want to have the same attitude as you with children. And you know how awkward it can get or how challenging it can get? You come into a, a school or a church or whatever, and there's a second or third grader, and they want to give you a high five, and they see you come, and they appreciate your investment in their life. And without them knowing, they go... <laughs> Hi, Mr. Estep. <laughs> but in many cases, the kids and young people who come to our churches, this is the only exposure they have to the Word of God, the things of the Lord, and to the love of Christ. I was at one church and somebody said, uh, Mr. Estep, I have a question. This was a new church presentation. They were looking. I said, do you think some of the families in our community will see our WANA program and just want to drop off their kids and go either shopping or back home or go to the tavern or whatever? I said, sure, they'll probably do that. 
Are you sure you want us to think about being babysitters for them? Here was my response. Folks, if we have the opportunity for that child or young person to be dropped off at our churches and for us to minister to them, others may call it babysitting, but Jesus and his attitude towards children and young people, he calls it kingdom sitting. And I will kingdom sit anytime I have an opportunity to invest in the life of a child or young person. So what is Jesus and his attitude towards children? I think we see a lot of it here in just verse 13 through 16. But let me share with you one illustration. <clears throat> I come across this quote from a gentleman. His name is Harmon Killebrew. He has passed away. He used to play in the American League for 20 years, I think the late 50s to the early 70s or somewhere around there. And in 1982 or 83, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And as he gets up to share the speech of his induction, he shares the following illustration. He said, I'm just one of two or three bro brothers, and we were outside one day growing up, and we were, we were messing up the yard, and we were doing what boys do, and, and, and just having a great time in the yard. And he says, my mom opened the door and said, boys, don't tear up the grass. Which Harmon in his speech later says, that my dad, I overheard him graciously say to my mom, sweetheart, we're not raising grass, we're raising kids. And in our society, we have too much focus on raising grass and not enough focus on raising kids. So what is Jesus and his attitude towards us? Let's look at this passage, and I want to leave you with three truths as we look at Jesus and his attitude towards kids, follow along the best you can. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter in. Verse 16, and he took them up into his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Let me leave you with three truths. And there are probably many more throughout the scriptures. All we have to do is back up one chapter and find out how Jesus set a child in the midst of them and used it as a reminder and an object lesson to the adults around. But in this passage, let me leave you with three truths that help us to understand Jesus and his attitude towards kids. I'm convinced that if Jesus was in our churches today, he would spend a lot of time with the, the little stinkers and the kids and the young people and as well as the adults. But boy, he would focus in on those that are most receptive and pliable to the things of the Lord. So I want the same attitude in my life as Jesus. That caused me once a uh, number of years ago to look for an opportunity how I can serve back into my community. So I ended up volunteering in the local public school for eight years. And I said, please, please, I'm about ready to start. Please, I've never done this before. I asked, do not give me junior hires. 
in any English classes, at least for the first few weeks until I get my feet wet. Not that I don't like junior hires, because I think I'm more of a junior high mindset than I am anything else. Because I just, I love junior hires. I'll take them all day long. Matter of fact, when we had a WANA camp, we had 185 of them one week. Oh boy, that was fun. Anyway, you ever play Foursquare with a junior hire? Watch out, but that's another story. And I remember subbing, and my first assignment was a half day. And it was the only thing that was available. And the secretary said, we need you. Junior high English. <laughs> so I went in scared to death. So I did it for about eight years. I even su- I, I'll sub anywhere. My purpose was twofold. One, I want to be a witness and a testimony to any I can in my community. Because our ministry just keeps us going everywhere. I was telling pastor, we were in Quincy yesterday morning for a Bible quizzing. We're here with you folks this morning. We'll be in Pontiac this evening for their club ministry. And we get to do this two and three times a week. How spoiled are we? We love it. Can't believe we still get the chance to do it. But we sub, I've subbed for as young as three and four high-risk preschool all the way up through high school. And after doing it a few months, I began to realize that the teachers were asking me, where did you learn to be a substitute teacher? So I shared with them, and, and especially when I did the three- and four-year-old high-risk preschool, I said, where did you learn to work with kids that young? I said, there's two answers. I have grandkids that young, and our church has this ministry called Cubbies, not named after the Chicago Cubs, by the way. <laughs> Who said good? <laughs> by the way, you know Ben Zobras grew up in Liberty a Bible church in Eureka, Illinois. I remember him when he was just a little stinker. And I remember when he was in Iwana, get all that stuff. And guess what? He has yet to send me a baseball signed by him. <laughs> but I don't expect him to. I'm just teasing. So anyway, after these eight years, then the economy tanked and more of the, sub- the teachers who had worked for the school system began to uh, get back on the sub list. And I was pushed so far down, I was never going to see daylight. And you can ask Nancy, how many times have we been at Menards or Lowe's or Walmart or this restaurant or that restaurant? We were just out getting glasses two weeks ago. We were sitting there waiting. A lady walked by after she took our information, whatever, says, "Uh, excuse me, are you Mr. Estep? I said, yes. Have you ever substituted in Niani Karistown? I said, yeah. Then I asked her, why do you remember? See, I only remember my substitutes as getting away with something and taking advantage of their lack of control. So I begin to ask these people, and these, these young adults, I said, why? Well, it's the same kind of impact that we can have spiritually in the lives of the kids and young people that come to our church. So here are three truths I want to leave you with. Look with me at verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked them that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he said, let or permit or suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. Verse 13 and 14, the first truth of Jesus and his attitude towards children. They are a priority to him. Put in the context of the first 12 verses, the serious discussion, and rightly so. And then kids come, and Jesus takes time for them. They are a priority 
to Jesus. And if they're a priority to me, to him, they better be a priority to me. I remember a number of years ago putting siding on my garage. And by the way, you guys, yeah, this is a three-car garage that's detached. Oh, it was wonderful. But I was putting siding up, and then I put guttering up, and, and, and the, the garage was about 36 feet long. So I was going to put guttering on the front and the back, and there I was in the driveway and putting up the guttering, and here came one of these fifth-grade neighborhood kids. Do you have those in your neighborhood? Somebody taught us an important principle when our children were preschool, that when your kids get old enough to play with the neighbors, make your home Grand Central Station. You know what's going on there, and you can become spiritual surrogate parents to them. So seize the opportunity. So anyway, these kids would come over. And so here came Drew, and here came Holly. Before I knew it, there were five kids up because I had the scaffolding. I said, have you ever rolled golf balls down guttering? So I had a bucket of golf balls, and we have a picture of it. Five kids on the scaffolding on a Saturday afternoon. We have 36 feet of guttering, 10 feet of downspout, two or three downspouts for this side, another 36 foot of guttering. We had that thing going all the way across the yard. Because of this passage reminded me to take time to minister to kids when you have an opportunity. Because the guttering will not live forever, but the souls of men, women, boys and girls, and young people will. Principle number one, they are a priority to the Lord. Second of all, look at verse 15. Truly I say to you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter into it. Principle number two, children teach us what saving faith is all about. They will follow somebody off the end of the world. If that person shows a little bit of attention and compassion to them, am I right? And so we have evil, deceitful people in our culture that trick kids with a false sense of loyalty and care for them and compassion, and they lead those kids into danger. You know what I'm talking about. So verse 15, we learn this. Not only are children a priority to Jesus, but second of all, verse 15, children teach us what saving faith is all about. Here's the example. We have three kids. Our youngest is Kimberly. They've all grown up and moved out of the house, and we've been empty nesters for a lot of years, and hallelujah, praise the Lord. We get to spend our own money more on us. Our schedules are ours. Anyway, that's another story. So when Kimberly was a little stinker, I put her up on the edge of the kitchen counter, and I backed up a step, and I said, Kimberly, jump. Dad will catch you. She jumped. Put her back up on the counter, took a step and a half back, said, Kimberly, jump. Dad will catch you. She jumped. Put her back up on the counter one more time, took two steps back while Nancy's over in the corner praying. (laughs) Not really, just teasing. I said, Kimberly, jump. Dad will catch you. What did Kimberly do? She jumped. She took me at my word that what I said I would do, I would do it as if it had already happened. When we came to know Christ as our Savior, isn't that exactly what we did? We acted upon the truth knowing that what he said he would do, he would do it as if it had already happened. Children teach us what saving faith is all about. And now verse 16. Not only do they show us that they were a priority to Jesus, 
but they show us about what saving faith is all about. But look at verse 16. And he, Jesus, took them up into his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. In that culture, at that time, and in that part of the world, there was a desire on the part of parents for their children to be publicly recognized by the official religious leaders of the day. And so any kind of public recognition was heaping worth upon that individual. And so they would literally put their hands on their head and bless them, which was an indication to all around, this one is important, especially to me. So what Jesus teaches in verse 16 is that they are precious. Remember the song you learned when you were little? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are all in his sight. Except I remember when I was growing up, my mom and my aunt, we lived next to my aunt and my uncle in an old duplex. My mom and my aunt had the nerve to, that's back when VBSs were two weeks long. They had the nerve to take the whole summer we were off, except for one week of vacation, and plot that we were in somebody's vacation Bible school every week of the summer. <laughs> and I remember, I, I know what I was like when I was in third grade. And I would think, thinking back on it, that some of those leaders in VBS had a different tune they were singing in their own minds when they saw us coming. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and green, here come the meanest ever seen. <laughs> and there are kids that will push us to the edge. May we apply grace long before we have to apply judgment. How many opportunities pass our way to be able to share the love of Christ to a child or to a young person. Jesus says, they are a priority to me. They teach us what saving faith is about, and they are precious. Because not only did he put his hands upon them, he lifted them up. And I know we need to be cautious and careful in this day and age. But many kids measure love and affection by somebody touching them in a right and godly, appropriate way. And if they're so longing for that, it gives us an opportunity as we do it as unto the Lord to be able to share with them the love of Christ. In Mark chapter 10, uh, 9, verse 36 and 37, we read the following. And he, Jesus, took the child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him up in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of these such children in my name, me, receive me. And whoever shall receive me, receiveth not just me, but him that sent me. Jesus is all about kingdom setting. I want to be like Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer, Father? I think of the kids that live in our neighborhood. Lord, I think of those, one boy came over and 
Lord taken the time and has now given me an opportunity while he's in prison to be able to minister him with a card every four to six weeks. And Lord, I thank you for what you did to my heart and my attitude when these kids were running around our neighborhood that have now given me an opportunity to continue to minister to him in his need. Lord, help us to have your heartbeat. I want to be like Jesus. Speak to our hearts according to our needs, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.